you know, our union with God is not conceptual. We don't think ourselves into a relationship with God. We already are in a relationship with God. That's objective reality. It's, it's just our subjective awareness of that reality is not always there. That's where, that's where growth happens. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and we've just concluded all of our type episodes for season two, and we're excited because now we're going to kick off a series of topical episodes. Yeah, that's right. So these next few episodes won't focus on any one number in particular, but rather these episodes will be an overview of a certain topic that affects all of the numbers in various ways. And Sam and I are excited because uh, the very first one we're going to talk about today is spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines. That's right. So things like Bible reading, prayer, fasting, meditation, there's a whole range of disciplines or practices that can help us cultivate our spiritual lives. And joining us today to talk about spiritual formation in the Enneagram is special guest Tom Pussel. Tom is a chaplain and a certified grief recovery specialist. He also leads Deeper Journey Cleveland, a retreat in partnership with our friends at Crosspoint Ministry. He is also a life coach and does Enneagram Consulting. And he joins us today from Cleveland, Ohio. Hey, Tom. Hello. Good to have you on, man. It's good to be here. So, Tom, as Sam was saying a second ago, you know, there are a lot of things that we could talk about under the umbrella of spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to start here. Let's just build a foundation first for our conversation. So our friends at Crosspoint teach that there are three primary disciplines and all the other spiritual disciplines actually find themselves coming out of these containers. Can you tell us a little bit about these three foundational disciplines, uh, what they are and why they're important? Well, as you guys know, when you track with with Jim and Rich, they they just they bring you to that foundational discipline of silence and solitude, which I think is the driver for all the others, and that's obviously one of the three. But just to cultivate that that space where you're away from the distraction of people, uh, solitude, and you're away from the distraction of noise, silence, that you can see how you see and encounter God's unconditional love, loving you just as you are, not as you should be. You'll never be as you should be. And and just marinating in that that tremendous grace that nothing you can do will make God love you more. Nothing you could do will make God love you any less. And that gets mediated through the, the silence and solitude. And so if we don't have that in our lives, everything uh, just spins from that place of disintegration and noise and monkey mind and, you know, whatever term you want to use from it. So if, if we cultivate that, then that opens up the scripture reading um, in a way that scripture unfolds and intersects with our own life so that, you know, whatever's going on in our story comes under that, that meta narrative, that story of, of the kerygma, the life, death, resurrection, ascension of, of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, and then out of that flows the awareness piece, just self-awareness. How, how do we see the 
people around us? How do we see ourselves? And and that's what the Enneagram is all about. Yeah. Um, Tom, can you speak a little bit to just the importance of cultivating disciplines? Like what's at stake if we don't take time to discipline ourselves spiritually? Well, um, then you just get controlled and, and run ragged by external influences, whether they're good or not so good. Uh, you end up not living your life. Yeah. And like we live in an age that's just like, you know, when you start talking about silence and solitude, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's like the hardest time in human history, but gosh, it, it sure feels like it might be the hardest time in human history to achieve that because we're more accessible than we've ever been before. And now every time we get margin in our lives, we just fill it with the next thing instead of, you know, taking that time to slow down. You know, that's a it's a real challenge. You know, I would imagine that practicing and cultivating these disciplines can look different for for different Enneagram types Mm -hmm. because each type has, you know, what's called uh, we'll call it a downstream discipline and an upstream discipline. Can you can you talk about what that means and what the difference is between those two things? Yeah, we we're all created in the image and likeness of God. And so that's non-negotiable. Uh, that comes in the with the software. Um, and so every every single one of us has dignity and worth. And, you know, the beauty of a Trinitarian view of God is that there's unity and diversity and the two are married together. And so in in God's wonderful unity, there's this incredible diversity of ways of being and doing uh, people, flowers, food, you name it. So everybody has a, has a uniqueness to, to their design uh, that reflects that that image and likeness of God. And so there's going to be some things that are very natural, given our temperament, given our background, given our gifts. And, and you know, that's things are just going to flow from that natural space. And there's going to be things that are, are going to be challenging. And, you know, that those areas present the the growth edge. And so that's the the upstream term that we use when you, when you really feel like you're going upstream against the current, that's where, that's where growth happens. We sure grow when we're, when we're out of our comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So downstream disciplines are just those that just come more natural. So like, so we imagine like we're in, you know, a little stream of water and it's starting to flow and our bodies naturally are just being taken with the stream that's going downstream. But if we want to, you know, get somewhere that's upstream, we're going to have to strive and push and it's going to, it's going to take some work. Yeah. Well, here's what I'd like for us to do. Let's let's go one by one through the nine Enneagram types and sure. and then have you just talk about the downstream and upstream practice for each type and then ways to cultivate spiritual disciplines in our lives. So why don't we start with the heart triad and Sam, why don't you just kick us off? Yeah. So just a reminder for our listeners, uh, the heart triad starts with type twos and the type twos are our lovely helpers. Everybody in the heart triad, we know, struggles with shame. And for the two that manifests itself, their core sin struggle is the issue of pride. But God invites the two into a life of humility. So, Tom, talk to us about spiritual disciplines and practices for the life of twos. When you look at a two, you see a very helpful, serving, unselfish, affirming, generous person. And their virtue that, that they're striving for is humility, but they're dealing with, the, with this vice of pride. When they're not healthy, they get real enmeshed, annoying, demanding, complaining, needy. Uh, and so... When you look at that, the, their preferred spiritual discipline that's going to come easy is the service and the fellowship because uh, they're just naturally giving people. They give and they don't collect any stamps. And that's why, you know, a lot of ministry organizations and churches love twos because they're so Right. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. So anything hospitality related, they're all over it and, and they're 
great at it. And that's where they really shine. And so that's going to be the downstream. But to introduce some resistance, which is what we need to grow, you know, the, the cross wasn't comfortable. The cross was not natural. <laughs> this is a unnatural experience. And yet each of us has to carry this, this cross. So if we want to lean into that for the two, the thing that's going to move them upstream is, is solitude. Just to get away from, from the needs of others and to try to get in touch with what's really going on in them. Because twos are so good at sniffing out what other people need. They're not good at finding out what they need. And that's what they need. And that another discipline is self-care as opposed to being always giving towards another what, what do they need for themselves? Uh, Sabbath, having a, a regular Sabbath really prevents them from being burnt out and always helping. Confession is, is big, especially if they have a good spiritual director, because that spiritual director will be able to see through the pride and, and call them out on that. And then just secrecy, just to do something without anybody knowing it. Twos can blow their trumpet in terms of uh, you know what they do for others. And so to do something uh, on the sly is another great discipline for them. Yeah, that's cool. That sounds like that's a good one. Yeah, even on the solitude thing, you know, I heard somebody point out that for for a lot of twos, it's not enough just to go, I'm going to go sit by myself in a coffee shop. Many twos, they literally, when it's solitude, it literally means to not be around other human beings. Because twos have such a magnetic pool towards the needs of others. They just read the needs of others uh, very easily. So even to sit in a coffee shop, you know, you're scanning the room and you can just see all the need in the room. And so so twos need to take that solitude like -hmm. like to its extreme, like go out to a space in a place where you're away from other people. Yeah. And for a two to allow somebody to do something for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And not say like, how can I pay you back? And not even to like send a thank you note or something like, you know, just to have total one way receiving of love and pouring out without feeling like you need to offer or manifest anything back in that direction. That will kill all the twos. Yeah, I know. So many twos are like cringing right now. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, let's talk about type three. So type three, uh, also known as the achiever. And of course, the shame of three gives birth to the deadly sin of deceit. And especially that oftentimes becomes self-deceit. And God invites the three into a life of honesty. So Tom, talk to us about these folks. Yeah, with threes, they're they're so efficient and they have such a need to get things done. That's that's their gift. But as you already mentioned, they they struggle with deceit and the virtue they need to cultivate is truth. And so when a three's operating out of out of her comfort zone or his comfort zone, they're going to be into service, celebrating, starting things, witnessing, you name it. I mean, they're just good at that promotion. That is so necessary to energize and, and get people rolling. But the upstream discipline to cultivate the, the truth factor, which they need, is an examination. What's really motivating me, really? Threes can really get blinded to their what they think their image is, but uh, an Ignatian examine uh, where each day you, you just take inventory of what's happened and but looking drilling down into the motivations like why why did i really do this once again confession facing failure threes do not like to face failure but the gospel is all about failure you, you go into silence and solitude the primary spiritual discipline and you come out of failure because if we sit there for 20 minutes we feel like a failure cuz uh it's hard to do yeah. and our mind just goes berserk 
and we have to just accept God's love and all that. So spiritual direction is another really good thing for a three, just to be held accountable and to open themselves to review. Another needed spiritual discipline is secrecy. Again, can they do something that's not going to go on their resume or make them look good or help out in something that they're they're promoting? And then just slowing down and breathing. Threes run at such a high, high RPM. They're not really good at slowing things down. So even if that's just a simple breath prayer, it can really help them out. Yeah, that's really good. Um, okay, so uh, let's move on to type four, um, mm-hmm. the second best type on the Enneagram. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So type fours are the originalist, also in the heart triad. So they struggle with shame. And for them, shame gives birth to the uh, deadly sin of envy. But God invites the four out of envy and into a life of balance and equanimity. So Tom, talk us through the spiritual disciplines for the life of a four. Yeah. So fours are always kind of stuck in this, I don't know, melancholic, creative angst that they love to be in and they don't want others to, to get them because they just love being in that unique kind of space. You, thing you, that, you that, might be right. You <laughs> might be right. Yeah. So what's natural for a four, what they prefer doing is to journal, you know, let me, let me journal and split open what's going on in my, my heart and soul and, and express that uh, worship is a preferred discipline for for the four meditation the thing that that fours need to face is just kind of the ordinariness of life that boring's okay and there's no need to have something be special or exciting service uh, is really good for a four simplicity not getting occupied with what they have or don't have and then just hanging with other people without the need to dive into any anything anything deep you know can you just hang out with somebody and just be submission. Do you have some, some checks and balances in your life? Some, some people that you see as an authority that can, can really speak truth in your life. And then, and then solitude and silence and centering prayer kind of keeps them, keeps them on point. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah. The, the submission one is an interesting one. You know, the idea of like having some people in your life that you have to, you know, they hold you accountable. You got to check in with them because, you know, fours, we have a tendency to kind of want to go, I don't know if rogue's the right word, but we just tend to want to do things in our own way. And the idea of, you know, being connected to a community and there being order to that so that we're under somebody else, you know, that that's contrary to our nature, but so good for us because God designed us to be part of a bigger community. Well, that is the heart triad. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Tom Puzzle will be walking us through the spiritual disciplines for both the head and the gut triad. Stay with us. Okay, so like the Enneagram is all about introspection, right? Yeah, it's about self-awareness, doing like the inward journey in order to become a more fully formed person and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like there's some danger in like just getting lost in like the maze inside of ourselves. Like we're not intended just to become like only introspective people. Right. It's helpful, but I, I think that there is a point at which the things you're learning inside need to be applied to the friends and loved ones and the neighbors around you. Yeah, and I think that as part of that, part of that is about like serving other people. Mm-hmm. So check this out. This is from Joseph Williams. He's a pharmacist in Charleston, West Virginia. And this is what he had to say about his time serving with Love That Neighborhood. LTN really taught me 
service. Uh, it was just great to see other individuals the same age as me with a heart of service, um, serving individuals that may be less fortunate than, than we're used to and people that grew up differently than we have. So if you're looking for a place to serve, we would totally encourage you to come check us out. Visit us online at lovethyneighborhood.org. You can serve with us for a summer or a year. We have so many different internship opportunities that you can choose from. There's going to be one there that's going to be suited just for you. So again, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. So we are continuing our journey through the triads as we talk through the spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation. We have our special guest, Tom Pussel, with us, and we've now come to the head triad. So let's talk about type five, the investigator. So for folks in the head triad, their struggle in life is the issue of fear. And fear eventually, for fives, gives birth to the deadly sin of greed and God invites them to a life of generosity. So, Tom, what do spiritual disciplines look like for type five? Yeah, I mean, the, the disciplines for five are going to be aimed at just getting the five into the game in terms of emotional involvement, because fives tend to detach from their own feelings, and they just disengage from other people. So, you know, the invitation is, how can I, how can I trust people? How can I let people in? And how do I grow against that? that vice of greed. And so the preferred disciplines for the five are going to be retreat and rest. That's going to come natural for a five. Meditation, study. They love to investigate and study, as you said. And the silence and solitude. Those are the preferred disciplines that's going to help them along the way. But to introduce the necessary resistance and just to put them in, in spaces to grow, what they need to do is, is to serve in a real hands-on way. You know, down, down and dirty. Get, get in there and get involved. Giving and sharing, that goes against the whole tendency to to hoard and, and greed. Um, justice and compassion. Uh, hospitality is another great discipline for five and and fasting. And the fasting is not just dietary. Uh, a lot of times for five, the fasting needs to be information because they're always just taking in more and more data. How do they just cut back on the data and actually get in the game in terms of engaging with others in life. Um, it's funny you should say all of that because uh, on the first season of the Enneacast, our guest for Type 5 was Mike Cosper, and Mike tweeted that his wife has been saying that she thinks he needs to spend less time on Twitter, and he was reluctant to do that because he loves how much information he can get from Twitter and all the engagement there. And so she did something so down and dirty. She actually got out his own book that he wrote and began reading uh, <laughs> passages to him because of that, uh, you know, that desire to engage. You know, it's it's just yeah. good. It's good to engage relationally with the folks around you. Um, okay, so that was the five. So let's move on to type six. So type six are our lovely loyalists. And for this type, they are in the head triad. So we know that they struggle with fear. And for the six, fear gives birth to the deadly sin of more fear. So the virtue that sixes need to live into is that of courage. So Tom, how can sixes cultivate spiritual discipline specifically with that virtue for transformation of courage? Yeah, the disciplines are going to be looking at how do they how do they see how much energy goes into the fear factor? Because that's always that's always online. So for a six, what what's normal for them, what's natural is to submit. You know, they're always looking for an external authority. You know, hey, can you tell me 
what to do in the situation. Examination, uh, they're, they're very good at. They're very sharp in terms of knowing what's going on inside and Bible reading. So that stuff comes natural. But to introduce the disciplines to get them to grow, they really need to take acts of faith where they step out and they don't have it figured out because they're going to run straight into the fear factor and have to deal with it. Worship uh, is another great discipline, something that prompts them to just express what's going on inside and in their love for God. And celebrate sixes can be really duty bound and don't take time to celebrate or have any fun. And then fellowship, fellowship with other people. So that helps them move towards something that's a little a little healthier. But the big thing is the acts of faith. When they can step into something unknown and own it, that's where they're really going to grow. Yeah, that's good because it is. It's that's literally an act of courage, you know, yep. to, to step out into something and 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 it's unknown. You know, I'm also thinking too about what you said about worship because my wife is a six, and I noticed that when she is really when she worships, there's like this integration that happens between her head and her heart and her body. You know, there's something that really kind of fuses together when she's when she's worshiping that there are not necessarily, it doesn't always happen in other spaces of life, but worship is a fairly reliable space, you know, where it fuses those those three elements together for her. Yeah, and, and for the six to engage in worship, they have to turn off that doubting, questioning mindset that's always there, and they just have to go with it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, and last in the head triad, we've got type 7, the enthusiast. For these folks, fear gives birth to the deadly sin of gluttony. God invites the 7 into a life of sober-mindedness. So what does it look like for 7s to cultivate spiritual formation? Anything that, that gets them to see how easily they're distracted from facing pain because they get so scattered trying to do all, all kinds of things that are generally fun that they just avoid pain, responsibilities, and routines. So what's going to come natural to the seven is fun, fun, fun. They just love it. That comes natural for them. So the worship, the fellowship, the projects, things like that, they enjoy that. But what what they need to grow is serving, especially in a, in a way that you're dealing with people who are disadvantaged. So that could be in a, in a challenging ministry context where there isn't a there isn't a fun payout, I think the seven just needs to pay attention. Like, where's that payout of fun and energy? And are they serving in a way where that's not there? And they're really going to grow. Study, memorizing stuff, not fun, but it can really help them out. Silence and solitude will slow them down. Fasting, and and you know, for the five, the fasting might be data information for the seven, you know, it's probably going to be cutting down on on all the, the fun foods or drinks or whatever, you know, whatever they like to get into. And then also submission um, is another key thing for a seven. Yeah, I think about, uh, I mean, Sam, you remember in season one, like uh, Jonah Sage came on mm-hmm. and he was in the midst of making a one-year commitment to not start any new projects. Yeah. And he talked about how hard that was at first, but that it was eventually, it's been such a good thing for him. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the gut triad. So start off with eights. Eights, as we know, are the powerful person. Everybody in the gut triad struggles with guilt. And for the eight, that guilt gives birth to the deadly sin of shamelessness. But God invites the eight out of shamelessness and into a life of mercy. So, Tom, tell us about the eight. Yeah, the the awareness piece for the eight is how does my energy as an eight impact others in, in good ways and in not so good ways? Because eights can be really loud. 
in a lot of different ways and they're shameless in that. And so the eights usually don't like anything that's weak um, in themselves and in others, but they love to champion the underdog. So the thing that, that's going to come natural for the eight is going to be service. Eights are powerful types and they can get it done and they, they like to serve. Justice and truth-telling, that comes natural for the eight. So all that stuff's going to flow out of their natural gifting. The area that they could grow in and that they need to to find in terms of the spiritual disciplines is is confession, being honest about how they're just steamrolling people, detachment from what they think should happen or how it should happen. Spiritual direction is really good because the spiritual director is going to be able to see through kind of that, that powerful front mm-hmm. and uh, dig around. Uh, submission, huge for an eight, because that does not come naturally. And then silence and solitude. Eights are in the gut triad. And so they're really in tune with their bodies. And the silence and solitude can bring them into a deeper level of attunement. What's going on there? Yeah, that's really, really helpful. Um, well, let's talk about nines. You know, both you guys are nines. Both you and, and Sam are both nines. So for nines, their guilt gives birth to the deadly sin of sloth or laziness. And God's invitation for the nine is a life of exertion. How does this play out in spiritual disciplines? What? We bored it. We bored Tom. I don't know. What do you think? What do you want to do? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm a nine. That's why I can. That's why I can say those things. Um, so nines just have to pay attention to how much of their emotional, mental bandwidth is just getting pulled into other people's agendas, and where am I allowing? other things, other people to make claims on my life. Because nines just have an uncanny way of slipping into the skin of others. And it happens real subtly and they do it and they become passive dependent. So the things that nines do well in terms of spiritual disciplines is the silence and solitude. Like that silence and solitude is is so easy for a nine. A nine can slip right into that. Meditation, prayer, all that comes really easily. Uh, but what the nine needs to incorporate is some truth telling primarily to themselves and then actually to voice it to, to other people, which means inviting conflict. And that's what nines are desperately trying to avoid because they want to keep the peace. And so when I work with nines, including myself, I have to say, you know, where am I, where am I sacrificing self for the sake of peace? And that's where I'm in trouble. And then moving forward is where am I willing to sacrifice peace for the sake of self? Because I'm so desperately avoiding sacrificing that peace that I'm disowning myself. And that is no bueno for anyone. So truth telling is huge. And then justice, you know, anything that involves a confrontation and and when you do social justice or any kind of prophetic ministry, you are you're naming the captivity, you're showing up, you're in a very, you know, a very confrontational way, in a good way. And then serving, but not serving in the sense of being in the background, like taking the lead in something. A nine needs to take the lead because that's going to be uncomfortable and that's where they're going to grow. Yeah, I, I do really resonate with the 
the notion that like silence and solitude come really easily. I was reading about other, you know, other Enneagram books and it talked about like being in nature is really healthy for a nine because we can see the interconnectedness of creation and just be centered and have kind of the external dictate our internal world a little bit. So yeah, I think that's super important. But then I also see how the component of justice in particular is really important for the nine because nines can kind of live in that gray space where they can understand both sides. So the notion that nines should take a stand on one side and even if it means being against something else I think that for them to find conviction and to find truth to stand up for and like you're saying that truth telling to help kind of counteract that tendency to merge so yeah just keeping a a mindset of justice I, I can imagine and I've seen it in my own personal life be really healthy and helpful, even though it feels terrifying, you know, in the, in the first beginning stages. Uh, let's move on to the last one, the ones, best for last, the reformers or the perfectionist. And like the rest of us in the gut triad, ones deal with the issue of guilt, but for them, it leads to the deadly sin of anger. And God invites them out of a life of anger and into a life of patience. So Tom, how can the one cultivate more patience? Yeah, the one is just you know paying attention to all the shoulds and oughts. They just need to stop shooting on themselves because <laughs> they just are always should. I should do this. I should do yeah, that. It's such a good um, phrase. <laughs> and how are they, you know, judging themselves and others? Because that's just, it's always going on and it does not stop. And ones are so frustrated with that. They're like, I don't know how to not do that. And that's just, you know, it's part of the deal. So what comes natural for the one is is going to be that justice piece, stewardship is going to come natural because that's the right thing to do and discipling people because they know they've got pretty good boundaries and categories as far as discipleship is concerned. Where The disciplines that can help them a lot, though, that's going to move them upstream in a way that gives them the resistance needed for growth is the silence and solitude, peace and rest. Just rest and retreat. The one is always reforming, always fixing. What does it mean to just not fix, not reform? You know, the funny thing about it is, is, you know, change rarely happens when we're trying to change. You know, change happens when we're not. When you show up with no demands and no expectations, that's when the change happens. And the ones are always trying to change and fix service, but service in a a way that puts them in in a role where they have to submit to somebody else's idea of what's right. And they can't take the the driver's seat on, on the bus and anything that plops them into a ministry where they've got to engage with others in a way that necessitates grace. You know, they are in a situation that is not moral and that is not perfect. How can they show up in that space and, and give that grace? That's going to be really good for them. And then it shows up in almost every type, but spiritual direction, because ones think they're right. And when you do spiritual direction, you realize how often you're not. So that's the one. That's really, really good and really helpful. So let me let me just ask this final question. You know, what's the point of doing all of these things? Like for for us as Christians, what is all of this hopefully leading toward? An experiential connection with the divine. You know, our union with God is not conceptual, okay? It's I'm not at all discounting reason, but we don't think ourselves into a relationship with God. We already are in a relationship with God. That's objective reality. It's, it's just our subjective awareness of that reality is not always there. And so how do we enter into a greater subjective awareness of that objective union that we have with God through Christ? It's going to happen, you know, through the day in, day out, 
life and the situations we're willing to enter into and put ourselves into and the practices that that we do so that we can we can show up. And so I think it's a long-winded way of of saying we're after that experiential connection uh, with the divine that comes through our in, our intentionality to show up and to to do what doesn't always feel good. Yeah, that's very very helpful. Well, this has been great, and uh, I'm really I'm really glad that we've been able to explore this. Well, listen, when we come back, we will be playing Cast Your Vote with Tom Pussell. Stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're talking about spiritual disciplines, and we're exploring how each type can pursue their faith in ways that's going to help them grow. But one of the dangerous things that we can also tend to do at times is downplay things by over-spiritualizing them or spiritualizing them in ways that are inaccurate. Well, if you'd like to explore that a little bit more, head over to our other podcast, the Love That Neighborhood podcast, and specifically, check out episode number seven, where the gospel meets mental illness. I started becoming delusional. I had immoralized it. I had spiritualized it. It's a scary thing to see someone that you love, you care about, in a full mania state. You know, I didn't want there to be something wrong with me. I was really trusting God and crying out to God, and there was no relief. So subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, or you can check us out on Spotify. Just look up Love Thy Neighborhood or head over to lovethyneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now it's time for Cast Your Vote. Okay, our game today is called Cast Your Vote. Here's how it works. Tom, we're going to read you a card, and you're going to vote for which Enneagram type you think is best described by that card. For example, who made the most money selling lemonade as a child? So you might vote for type three. You're going to keep your vote to yourself, and Sam and I are also going to vote and try to match your vote. So we'll actually say our answers first, and then you'll reveal your answer last. Okay. If we match, we get a point. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. Topic number one, who would survive the longest in a zombie apocalypse? Who would survive the longest in a zombie apocalypse? Okay. Okay. Sam, your vote? Uh, My gut said six. My gut also said six. But Tom? (laughs) Nine. Nine. Really? Yeah, because they'll sit so still. Oh. <laughs> so quiet. Either the zombie will not notice them as alive That's... or recognize them as one of their own. Oh, <laughs> man. I just have a new strategy in case the zombie apocalypse happens in my lifetime. Oh, shout out to the sleepwalkers. Hey. <laughs> yeah, sixes I thought had the most stowaway 
preparation like they're already kind of i feel like the sixes in the world are maybe already preparing for a zombie apocalypse so <laughs> i was thinking like oh this is the moment for which i've been created and they like just have all of the like arsenal of canned goods and i don't know what you might need to survive a zombie apocalypse but i felt like the sixes were going to be the most prepared but nines put a good argument because we would just like lay low and <laughs> that's maybe hang good. out in like the forest or something and, <laughs> and nobody would find us so that's funny okay i got another question for you here we go who would be the most upset if all their possessions were lost in a fire? Who would be the most upset if all their possessions were lost in a fire? I'm, I'm going to rely on my, my mind meld with a fellow nine on this one. All right. Well, let's see what you got, mind melder. I think a two would be the most upset because not only are their resources compromised, but that also might include some relational compromise as well so they now have to look outward for help and that's like really really hard for a two so i think the the consequences and the next steps in this in the scenario of the two having to rebuild their lives would be really challenging for them okay so i'm i'm not thinking two, but some of my reasoning is actually the same uh i'm gonna say five and it's for similar reasons i think that fives really struggle with like uh wastefulness like, they don't want things to be wasteful. They don't want to lose things. They definitely don't want to have to spend a bunch of money, you know, that yeah. they've already bought it once before. And to be in a situation where all the eyes of, you know, the neighborhood are on them, you know, because their house burned down. And everybody's coming over going, let us help you. Let us help you. Let us help you. And the fives, independence, you know, is being mm-hmm. rubbed against relentlessly. Mm-hmm. I think I think that uh, the loss mm-hmm. of possessions plus the ever presence of a giant community of people might be a little <laughs> challenging for the five. That's true. Okay, Tom, what's your answer? <laughs> I'm going to say four. Oh. <laughs> Why? Because every, everything's unique. Everything's oh, yeah. one of a kind. Like, that's it my can special never be thing. replaced. Oh, yeah, it's my special thing that it got destroyed. So many special things. So many special things. So many. <laughs> and, and let alone the... <laughs> and it's all irreplaceable. And then let alone the experience of the Inferno. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Right? Well, so, at, least, at least it was a unique, a special experience. <laughs> exactly. They would like, her, their memoir would be like, when my life burned down. Yeah, right, <laughs> like, yeah, right. Beauty and from then, ashes. But, but see, this would make, this is great for like creative expression of the experience. No and doubt. The artwork and, every, and everything. Dang it. But, yeah. Uh, the last round, Tom, whose life would you like to live? So if he had to pick any other type. Basically. If he had to pick another type. <laughs> or your own. You could choose to remain yourself. Oh, yeah. Or you could switch types. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna take a guess here. Okay. Look at mine. Okay, go ahead, Sam. I think that Tom would want to live more like a seven. And why is that? Um, based on Tom's, you know, professional and personal life of just doing a lot of heavy like entering into heavy, dark spaces with people as a chaplain and pastor, I feel like he might um, long to have a life of more spontaneity and, and adventure and fun. So that's seven. That's okay, that's good. That's good. Okay, um, I was going to say two because I think Tom already enjoys helping other people, but I think that even being able to kind of engage that space more might be appealing. But I honestly think he would choose to stay a nine. I think that Tom has come to terms with who he is. <laughs> <laughs> and he's and he's ready and he's ready to take it home. He's pretty content. He's, he's, this is he has chosen the horse. He's going to ride in the derby. Like this is this is the way that it a is. A very slow horse. <laughs> <laughs> he's chosen the horse that he's going to mosey through the yes. derby. 
Okay, Tom, what's the what's the answer? Moment of truth. It's a it's a trick question. So the answer is nine, because as nines, we always live everybody else's life except our own. And so we want to live our own life. You know, we want to, mm, we want to, we want to be comfortable in our own skin and not just, hey, what do you want to do? So that's the little spin I'm putting on it. But I do <laughs> like the seven and I do need some more gluttony in my life for sure. <laughs> so Awesome. All right. Well, this has been Cast Your Vote. Sam. I didn't get any. You right. didn't get any points. And I got one. So, so Tom, you're the winner. So Tom, you're <laughs> you the winner. Us. There you go. Okay. So, uh, so now it's time for listener questions. So this question comes from Nate Allen. He asks, how does knowing your Enneagram number benefit spiritual growth in a practical way? And you're asking me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. you're the expert. I'm, I'm, yeah, still, so- I'm, I'm still thinking about the zombie apocalypse. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's. I guess the analogy would be just how does a good pair of glasses benefit you? We have to see how we see. And so if, if we rewind the tape back to just personality – it's how we see and then what we're doing with the data that we see and then and then how we present ourselves. And that all flows back to how do we see? And so to see that primary type, that dominant type is going to open up an awareness of how we see things. And, you know, that's where all the change happens is in awareness. It's all awareness, awareness, awareness. And so anything that we can do to cultivate that awareness is going to pay huge dividends relationally, spiritually, it all goes together. So it it opens the awareness piece. Yeah, that's good. Okay. This next question comes from wilderness underscore L. How can I use the Enneagram as a tool to grow across the spectrum, not just as my number or my or toward my growth arrow? So I think what they're asking is just, um, you know, how can I use the Enneagram to try to grow more holistically and not just fixate on my specific type? Yeah. Um, going back to the, the first question, when we when we see how how we process, when we see how we present ourselves, it introduces humility to us. And so we can use the tool as a way of cultivating humility that, you know what, we don't have the full picture. And when we go through life with a sense of mystery, awe, and wonder, and not knowing, that opens up all kinds of things. If we're going through life thinking that we know our type, somebody else's type, or that we've got the full picture, it just shuts everything down. The journey is a journey of faith, which means we don't know what's going to happen. And we don't really know ourselves and nor do I really know you. And so the tool gives us that, that level of humility. And so that's where I, that's how I would approach that question that the person was asking is that it's not just your type. It's about a greater appreciation for all the types and all the people that are in your life and that you will meet and to know that you don't know. And so you give them the benefit of the doubt and you're, you're open to uh, other things out of your comfort zone. That's good. Yeah, one of the things too that we talk about is just the fact that while we, for reductionistic purposes, will say, I am a four or I am a nine, um, in truth, we all have elements of all nine 
nine types. You know, all of those things are at play within us. And so so the goal is really to grow to a place where we appreciate all of the resourcefulness of all nine types and begin to cultivate these disciplines to move towards all nine of these things, not just one thing. But that's a heavy load to to bear. And so we focus on small pieces one at a time because it's just too much for us as people to take all, all of it on. But Ultimately, the goal is for us to move towards, you know, all nine of these things. This just, I feel like, illuminates the importance of taking a test that illuminates uh, your scores on all nine numbers. Um, a lot of tests that are free may just reveal, like, oh, you're this number, or if you've just read the material. The test that we use and the test that Crosspoint uses really does kind of shed light on here, kind of the different levels of all my numbers. And I think that it's important, you know, when we do our workshop, we say, like, pay attention to your highest numbers in the resourceful categories and non-resourceful, but also pay attention to the numbers that are really low and ask, begin to ask questions about that specific gift and why that may not be present. And, and what about that gift is maybe reminding you of something in your story that's, you know, you're diminishing that gift. So um, if you have low three or low eight or, you know, low nine, like those all kind of mean different things and, and pay attention to that and begin to ask questions because that'll show you, yeah, just the, the areas that you can grow and, and allow you to see like, maybe I do have that gift in me all along. Um, so another uh, listener asked a question I think it's important when we talk about spiritual disciplines, and it's kind of getting into uh, what I would define as maybe spiritual warfare. So how might each type influence which spiritual messages we take in and live by for the worse? So they give the example that doctrine of original sin and eternal torment in hell was always just really painful for them as a nine to kind of come to grips with. So, yeah, how might spirituality and, and as it relates to our Enneagram type, you know, the messages that we receive how would our Enneagram type maybe influence us for the worse? Yeah, um, we tend to hear and see what we want to hear and see. We, we're so biased towards what comes naturally to us. Yeah, so we, we, we gravitate towards our, our groove, which isn't, isn't always wrong. It's just not always right. And it's that, that piece that um, we don't have the full picture and we take in what we want, what we want to take in. And I have to be aware of my bias. I think that's, we see that everywhere on the news. I mean, people have a, a terrible lack of, of ability to, to be self-critical. I mean, just look at our political system. No, no, no one is able to be self-critical. And so the Enneagram hopefully gives us a self-critical tool so that we can see how we see, how we hear and take in things. Um, and so that's the danger in it is that... Mm-hmm. We're just going to gravitate towards towards the easy, easy stuff. Yeah, I heard it said this way that um, God and his kindness is fully knowable. Like he makes himself fully knowable and accessible through the life of Christ. But because of his infinite nature, he can never be fully known. And I think that tension is hard because we are finite creatures and we want to have, you know, infinite understanding. But with our, we have to live within our limitations. And so the Enneagram illuminates, I think, which giftedness and which character and aspect of God that we recognize as the easiest. But because of the complexities of, of his nature, we cannot access and attain and understand all of all of who he is and not in a secretive way, um, but in a way that, that makes him God and makes us human. Yeah. And you also, you can't overlook either even like um, the way that even our culture influences our Enneagram type. So to be a nine, you know, in the Western world will look different than to be a nine in another part of the world. So, and I say that for this because uh, the listener gave this example that 
the doctrine of hell was always very, very difficult for them as a nine. And no doubt that that is a very difficult doctrine. I've, I've wrestled with it significantly myself. However, those that uh, have lived in other parts of the world where they have been victims of terrible, terrible injustice, and they've seen you know, family members, you know, had terrible things done to them and they've had their lives destroyed. The doctrine of hell doesn't seem so bad. The idea that that God will perfectly judge all of humanity. But for a Westerner who is a nine that feels more comfortable in gray space, something like the doctrine of hell is going to be very painful and very difficult. So I think that we also, to, to Tom's point, we have to recognize I come with bias and I don't see the whole picture. Hey, well, Tom, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing with us, and we really appreciate just you bringing your insight and walking us through the types. My my hope is that this is going to be helpful to a lot of folks. Yeah, thanks so much, Tom. You got it. Thank you for having me. Thank you to our guest today, Tom Pussel. If you'd like to take part in a retreat with Tom or if you'd like to receive uh, life coaching or an Enneagram consultation, head over to crosspointministry.com. Just look up Tom under the Our Partners section where you can contact him directly. If you ever get the chance to to sit down with Tom, uh, you will benefit greatly. Uh, Tom and I were part of a deeper journey retreat together a few years ago, and I always deeply appreciated uh, the things that, uh, that Tom shared. So again, head over to Crosspoint pointministry.com and look under the section called Our Partners, and you can contact Tom there. Also, our game today was based off a real game called The Voting Game, which you can find at Amazon or by going to thevotinggame.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood is a place where we provide social action internships supported by a Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come and serve with us for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.